Chapter Twenty Five of the Ordeal of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Bell. Chapter Twenty Five of the Ordeal of Elizabeth by Anonymous. The Van Antwerps have come up for the summer, said Miss Joanna who had made the same announcement, if you remember, not quite a year before. The butcher says they came last night. They never got here so early before. Elizabeth, who was arranging flowers, looked up suddenly. Yes, I know, she said quietly. Eleanor wrote me. She left her roses half arranged and wandered restlessly over to the long French window. Before her stretched the well-kept lawn with its flower-beds and rose-bushes and beyond, field and wooded upland, all clothed in their newest, most vivid dress of green. Further still the river, with the white sails on its surface. That river from which, more than half a century before, another Elizabeth Van Vorst had resolutely turned away her eyes, refusing to be reminded of the life that she had given up. But that woman of an older generation was made of sterner stuff, perhaps, than her granddaughter. And then there was not much travel in those days, no daily mails, no guests coming up to neighboring house-parties over Sunday. "'It will be nice for you, Elizabeth, to have Mrs. Bobby,' said Aunt Joanna, in her comfortable monotone, her knitting-needles clicking peacefully. "'You have found it a little dull, you know, dear, since you came back.' "'A little dull?' Elizabeth could have laughed out loud at the words. "'A little dull.' With such exciting subjects to discuss as the new Easter anthem, and the latest illness of the rectory children, with such diversions as a drive to Bassett Mills, a tea-party at the Courtenay's. If I am dull, she said, turning round presently with the ghost of a smile, it certainly isn't the fault of the neighbourhood. I didn't tell you that Mrs. Courtenay has asked me to tea, a third time. She says Frank will see me home, no need to send the carriage. She laughed a little, not without a shade of bitterness. Fancy Mrs. Courtney suggesting that last summer. Well, dear, she means well, I suppose, said Miss Joanna, puzzled but kindly. Miss Cornelia raised her head with a little involuntary touch of pride. The Courtneys are, are really quite pushing, I think, she said, a most unwanted tone of asperity in her voice. I told Mrs. Courtney, Elizabeth, that you had been so very gay, with emphasis. You really needed a complete rest. Elizabeth laughed. And, of course, she said, that only made her, dear good woman, all the more anxious to provide me with a little more amusement. I never realized before how fond the girls have always been of me. But then that's the case, apparently, with the whole neighborhood. They always concealed their affection for me very successfully, until this spring. She paused. Her aunts made no reply. She went over to the piano and began absently turning over sheets of music. "'Do you remember, Auntie?' she said abruptly. Miss Joanna had left the room in response to a summons from the maid, and Elizabeth and Miss Cornelia were alone. "'Do you remember that I told you once that I felt myself a sort of nondescript, neither flesh, fowl, nor good red herring? But now I seem to be considered a very fine fowl indeed. The ugly duckling, probably.' that turned into a swan. "'You never were an ugly duckling, my dear,' Miss Cornelia could not help protesting, in spite of her principles. 
It certainly wasn't that. Perhaps not, said Elizabeth. At all events, I'm no better looking than I was, let us say, last year. I heard a woman at the mills say the other day that I had gone off terrible in my looks. But that doesn't prevent Frank Courtney from coming here day after day, boring me to death, since he has discovered, as his mother tells me, that I am just the style that he admires. It doesn't prevent the Johnson girls from going into raptures over my beautiful hair and asking if I mind their copying my lovely gowns. They have copied my new spring hat, if you notice. Oh, it would be amusing if it wasn't so very petty. She put out her hand with a weary, contemptuous gesture. And then the funny part of it all is that I am not really so nice, if they only knew it, as I was last year, when they all treated me as if I had committed some sort of crime, merely in existing. My dear, remonstrated Miss Cornelia, how can you talk like that? I'm sure you're not a bit spoiled. Everyone says so. Ah, they think so, said Elizabeth quickly. They think me nice, because I've acquired a society manner, and say the correct thing, but if they knew everything— She stopped suddenly, and stood for a moment, staring steadily before her with knit brows. Do you know, Aunt Cornelia, she said abruptly, what I think I am? A sort of moral nondescript, neither good nor bad. I see the right way, oh, I see it so very plainly, and I want to take it, and then I choose the wrong. Always and inevitably I choose the wrong, and shall all my life, until the end. It's not my fault, really. I can't do right, no matter how hard I try. My dear, Miss Cornelia looked at her, puzzled and shocked. There's no one, she said, putting into trite words her own simple conviction. There's no one, Elizabeth, who can't do right if they try hard enough. Do you think so, Auntie? said Elizabeth very gently. Then probably I don't try hard enough. She went over to Miss Cornelia and kissed her on the cheek. If I were like you, she said, I should. Then without further words, she sat down at the piano and began to play, as she did every day for hours at a time. Such restless, passionate, brilliant playing! A vague uneasiness mingled in Miss Cornelia's mind with her pride in the girl's talent as she listened to it. Something was troubling Elizabeth, evidently, something which had brought her home so unexpectedly, which had changed her in looks and manner beyond what could be accounted for by excitement and late hours. Yet innate delicacy and timidity prevented Miss Cornelia from forcing in any way the confidence which seemed to tremble now and again upon the girl's lips. She had a vague idea that the difficulty, whatever it was, would soon be decided one way or another, that the Van Antwerp's arrival, which Elizabeth seemed at once to dread and look forward to, would bring matters to a crisis, and the whole thing would be explained. Elizabeth was still playing when Mrs. Bobby interrupted her. That she had not allowed a day to elapse before hastening to the homestead was a fact noted with jealous care by the Mrs. Courtenay, who met her at the gate. "'He is desperate!' Mrs. Bobby's visit had not lasted many minutes before she murmured this, holding Elizabeth's hand and scanning eagerly her averted face. At Mrs. Bobby's words it quivered, the colour flushed into her cheek, but otherwise she made no sign. "'When you first went away,' Mrs. Bobby continued, as no answer came, "'he was all for coming up here at once. He thought it a caprice, a morbid, unaccountable whim. He was sure that if he could see you, remonstrate with you. And then there was your letter, 
forbidding him to come. He was beside himself. It was all I could do to keep him from taking the first train up here. I said, wait, it doesn't do always to force a woman's will. Give her a little time. At least she has paid you the compliment, which she has paid to no one else, of running away from your attentions. She paused, her eyes still eagerly fixed upon Elizabeth's face. The color in the girl's cheek was now brilliant. Her lips were parted, but still she did not speak. "'Day after day,' said Mrs. Bobby, "'we have talked it over. He walking up and down, restless, wild, I trying to soothe him, urging him to be patient. Sometimes he thinks that you are revenging yourself in this way for his former neglect, that it is a little scheme to pay him back. The idea drives him frantic, makes him furious with himself, yet he is always encouraged when he thinks of it. And then again he thinks that you don't care for him, that you never will, that there is someone else. Ah, oh, my dear, if you really do care, you are cruel, unpardonably cruel, to torment him like this. Again she paused. Elizabeth, with a quick, impatient movement, dragged her hand away from her grasp, and began to pace up and down, gasping, as if for breath. Cruel! she cried out. Cruel! And you think it gives me pleasure to torment him? If it doesn't, said Mrs. Bobby, following her with her eyes and speaking with some coldness, I confess I am at a loss to account for your behavior. Elizabeth stopped suddenly, and bending down, almost buried her face in the roses, whose fragrance she inhaled. There never was a man, said Mrs. Bobby, who loved a woman more than he loves you, Elizabeth. And there isn't a man who, I believe, deserves a woman better. Deserves her, murmured Elizabeth. Deserves me. Oh, good heavens! The exclamation was barely audible, and apparently addressed only to the roses. I said to him yesterday, said Mrs. Bobby, you'll come up Saturday, of course, but he's proud now and hurt, Elizabeth. He said, I won't come. I won't force myself upon her without her knowledge and consent. If she knows, if she's willing, why, then, I'll come, not otherwise. There was a pause. Elizabeth turned presently, a face which seemed to reflect the glowing color of the roses over which she had bent. "'What do you want me to do, Eleanor?' she asked softly. "'Tell me what I shall say,' said Mrs. Bobby, "'in the letter which I must write when I get home.' She went over to Elizabeth and put her hand on her arm. "'Shall he come, or shall he not? It rests with you.' 